This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Bringing you a common sense and fresh perspective to creating a just society. This is Common Sense on Social Justice. You'll get equipped with the tools you need to carry out social justice right where you are. Now, here's the host of Common Sense on Social Justice, Michael Davis. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am glad that you are here as we sort of begin. We began last time, but really get into the beginning of the encyclical by Pope Leo XIII, Rerum Novarum. An excellent uh, encyclical. And as I study it myself and kind of rehash, and you know, a lot of these things that I present, I've read in the past, studied, but this causes me to learn it even more. And I Somebody asked me one time, what is the best way to learn something? And I tell them to teach it because when you teach it to others, it forces you to dig deeper and to apply it to yourself. And I don't think you're really being an effective teacher if you're not, of course, applying it to yourself. So studying this encyclical all over again really has forced me to go deeper within it and to really pull out its lessons And so today we do part one, the first few paragraphs of this encyclical, and we are taking sort of sections of this encyclical because Pope Leo XIII does not spell out the various sections and and topics that he's covering in this encyclical. However, as you read it, it becomes obvious that it is broken up into certain topics, so He will present a topic and then take a few paragraphs to really break it down. So today we are in part one. Uh, I believe we're uh, covering paragraphs one through 14 today. But it's a very significant encyclical in that it really changes the focus of many future encyclicals to social issues. In the past, the church had dealt a lot with theological issues, not that theology and social justice are are uh, opposite of each other or that they're even separated from each other, but doctrinal issues were the a lot of the focus and practical issues too, like, you know, issues in past encyclicals around uh, problems that the church was struggling with and how to resolve those. But in 1891, with this encyclical, Pope Leo XIII changed the trajectory that really got uh, picked up by other popes, a trajectory towards dealing with the social issues our world was facing and really giving the Catholic voice and uh, allowing the church to speak into these issues. However, again, I want to make it clear that the church has had a long history of speaking on social issues. Uh, I mean, you look back in the New Testament, the book of Acts, you see Aquila and Priscilla, They were known to take in orphans uh, into their home. Of course, they welcomed St. Paul many times. St. Paul being challenged by the apostles as they're commissioning him to go out and spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And they said that the one thing they asked of him was to remember the poor. And he said that's the very 
thing I wanted to do. St. Ambrose, others in the early church really focused on justice and, and being a people of justice, but it wasn't so defined. It was sort of understood. Uh, and so uh, Pope Leo Thirteenth really brings it all into a defined document in Rerum Navarum. And in 1891, he's dealing again, as we talked about last time, with this industrial revolution and all of the injustices and inequities that came out of that. He, as the Pope, speaks into the situation with an encyclical that is is really history changing. And I am more convinced as I study this encyclical again, this time around, that if our political leaders would just read this encyclical and apply its principles, whether they're Catholic or not, I think we would at least get further. Of course, you know, the Holy Spirit has to guide us and empower us in that, but just the sheer principles themselves are earth-shattering in their nature. Now... In paragraph one, as Pope Leo XIII gets into the discussion, the Pope shares the necessity of the encyclical and defines the present situation. He shares the various conflicts that are going on, shares his frustration that the problems are stuck in the political sphere. Uh, And it is frustrating. It's frustrating for you and I to see a world where it's like we know the answers to problems. We just can't get anybody to move on those answers. And there's, especially today in our political leaders and in the United States, we're in a major election year electing the president. It's like we are frustrated because there are so many obvious problems going on in the world. That's creating stress on families creating more poverty, more violence and unrest in the world. And despite this, it's just like the candidates running for election are just political posturing. They're just trying to win points and votes. And it's not, nobody's convinced really that they, these, these candidates are really into it with their heart to make a better world uh, for society. So Pope, Leo the 13th faced the same issue. In fact, I'm going to read a little bit of the first paragraph. There's a little bit of humor that he uses in this, of course, 1900s type humor, but still nonetheless, every time I read paragraph one of this, I I have to chuckle the way he words things because he's basically making a jab at the leaders of society. Uh, in fact, the subtitles I mentioned last time is on capital and labor. And he talks about the rights and duties of capital and labor. And that gets covered very geniusly and in a very detailed way throughout this encyclical. But he says that the spirit of revolutionary change, which has long been disturbing the nations of the world, should have passed beyond the spheres of politics and made its influence felt in the cognate sphere of practical economics is not surprising. I think of 
the Declaration of Independence here in the United States, how there's a bit of a humor that's used by the founding fathers of the United States in that they're saying, yeah, we're just trying to form a more perfect union <laughs> in order to that phrase in order to form a more perfect union. And it's like, we're not going to throw England under the bus. We'll just say theirs is a perfect union and ours is just going to be more perfect. You know, they're making jabs. And so Pope Leo Thirteenth is saying, we're not surprised by the fact that the answers to this injustice in the world, this revolutionary change is needed. We're not shocked that it's hung up in political posturing. So basically what he's getting at is the answers are obvious. We need revolutionary change to bring about justice, but it's hung up in the political sphere and has yet to influence practical economics. So the elements of the conflict to read on in paragraph one, the elements of the conflict now raging. So he says, we are at a point where people are raging against the injustices that are happening from this industrial revolution. The elements of the conflict now raging are unmistakable. You can't miss it. In the vast expanse of industrial pursuits and the marvelous discoveries of science, in the changed relations between masters and workmen, in the enormous fortunes, and so on. What he's doing is naming that the, the injustices are unmistakable, but I'm going to name them, he says. In other words, the injustices are happening in the pursuits of science, in the changed relationships between masters and workmen. What he's referring to is there was a time in the Middle Ages where they had sort of workers unions like we have now. They weren't quite workers unions, but they were these, these uh, ways of the common worker having a voice to speak to their masters and say, we will be treated with respect, paid just wages and so on, have safe working environments and that. But Pope Leo Thirteenth is bringing out that that has changed since the industrial revolution, the, the, relationship between the master and workman that is the employer and the employees has changed and now we don't have trust between employers and employees we have a lack of of identification as being one with each other another one he names that uh, arena that has changed is in the enormous fortunes of some few individuals and the utter poverty of the masses now that is a big complaint even now, and, and we're, what, 130 years beyond this encyclical, we've had plenty of time to correct these things, and now it's even worse to see how much wealth is hung up in the hands of a few, and as he states, the utter poverty of the masses. And the Pope of the Catholic Church is saying, this has got to go. This has got to change, and he doesn't just refer to change. He refers to revolutionary change. Another arena he names is the increased self-reliance and closer uh, mutual combination of the working classes, as also finally in the prevailing moral degeneracy. So he's like, it, there's a tie between the moral degeneracy and the injustices that are happening. Well, let me give you an example. <clears throat> I do work in Kenya among the poor. And in Kenya, there is a lot of 
of uh, theft. That goes on. In fact, if you go there, apartment complexes, houses, they all have concrete walls around them with iron gates that you have to open and drive through to get in. And they even position their locks so you have to reach your hand through the gate and unlock without being able to see the lock with your own eyes because you can't trust people not to break the locks. It becomes impossible to break the lock the way they're positioned inside the door rather than outside the door. Why all this, what we would call moral degeneracy of theft in Kenya? Because of the injustices of the government officials in Kenya having the wealth hung up all in their hands. Uh, In fact, if you study the current president of Kenya, the, the man is just robbing the poor blind to take all the money for himself And therefore, people are forced into theft just to survive because they need food like right now. And they don't have a way to obtain that food in a proper way. So the Pope is saying we've just got a complete falling apart of society because of these unjust wages and unjust working conditions. And he names other things you can read for yourself in the encyclical, but that's... Paragraph one, the introduction, he's like, these are the things I want to deal with in this encyclical. Now, in paragraph two, it's a very significant paragraph in this encyclical in that he shows the shift of this encyclical from a doctrinal thesis, confronting errors, uh, you know, the, the doctrinal thesis or the doctrinal focused encyclicals dealing with errors, he's shifting to an encyclical that deals with practical justice, specifically justice for the working class, which he, and he defines the shift in chapter two, or rather paragraph two. So he says, therefore, venerable brethren, as on former occasions, when it seemed opportune to refute false teaching, We have addressed you in the interest of the church and of the common will and have issued letters bearing on political power, human liberty, the Christian constitution of the state in like manner. So we have thought expedient now to speak on the conditions of the working classes. And he goes on more in chapter two. Again, paragraph two, not chapter two, to speak on this. But he, he, he defines it. I, I'm shifting into a new type of encyclical that's dealing with the conditions of the working class and how we can come alongside them and make life better for them. And as we'll see further in the encyclical for their families. He states that further on in the paragraph that in the past, the church was kind of incidental in its teachings on justice, because again, Justice was just an assumed part of being a Christian. To be a good Catholic is to be a person of justice. It was just kind of assumed. But the Pope was disheartened by the shift that had happened, even in the church, away from this assumed being a people of justice. to now he's like, now I'm going to have to talk on it because people are just completely diving headfirst into these unjust practices towards their laborers. So now it's time for the church to get specific and spell out. Now, the the compendium on the social doctrine of the church, I did an extensive series, which you can go back and 
listen to for the first time or listen to again, but where does this compendium come from? It comes from these encyclicals where the church is now specifically saying, here is what it is. This is where the rubber meets the road. Now, I love at the end of the paragraph, I won't read it, but Pope Leo XIII at the end of this paragraph two says, there is no easy answer to these injustices. Wow, that is so honest and humble to me that a pope would say this smacks in the face of modern social justice warriors who try to make both the problem and the answer black and white. But the fact is, it's not possible in true social justice to have an easy understanding of what the problem is and to have an easy answer to the problem, even if we understood it. It requires a lot of dialogue, listening, and reflection. And that is one of the things that I love about what Pope Leo XIII says here is there is no easy answer to our situation right now. He tries to define the situation as best he can, but what honesty and humility to say, man, we don't know. And that's okay to say. You know, I'm tired of, for example, with racism, you've got Black Lives Matter and these other uh, individuals like Al Sharpton and others, they're always just preaching about racism and trying to just shove a certain answer down our throats without proper dialogue. But that's not how true justice works. True justice starts out with the assumption that we don't know. In other words, we have an understanding that there's a problem, but we don't quite understand what the problem is just yet or where it came from. And we don't understand how to fix the problem. So why don't we sit down together, listen to each other and discover together the answer. For example, in the first century, and you see it in the Bible where the apostles got together because there was a, an issue that had developed in the church. And the issue was, should Gentile believers be circumcised or not? And there was some other issues that needed dealt with. And there was no proclamation given by St. Peter or St. James or the others. Rather, what they did is called all the apostles together to discuss. Like, what's the problem? What's the answer? And there was a healthy and energetic discussion that happened around that. And the underlying assumption of that first church council in Jerusalem was, we don't know. So let's figure it out together. And everybody was happy with the answer at the end because everybody was a part of it. I think one of the reasons why people get so unhappy with the current social justice climate is that they have problems and answers shoved down their throat and they're not given a chance to be part of the problem. I hear this a lot from the homeless. The homeless get very frustrated because they're always being told what the answers are to their problems, but they're not being allowed to be part of the discussion. So anytime that I am on a panel, for example, if the media is showing up somewhere, or I'm on a town hall meeting, I always tell the people who invite me, I will not be part of the panel unless there is a homeless person on the panel as well, because their voice needs heard. Now, in the last sentence of this paragraph two, Pope Leo XIII brings out that there are opportunists who use these injustices, these social issues to divide people and incite revolt. 
Now, what the Pope talks about in paragraph one, that we need revolutionary change, is not the same thing as revolt. Revolt leads to violence and more division. Revolutionary change leads us to the answers. And it involves all parties who are concerned. But when the Pope says that there are opportunists who use these social issues to divide people and cite revolt, it was an easy one for someone to pop into mind thinking this, and that would be Saul Alinsky. One of the individuals who had the worst influence on the world in the 20th century was Saul Alinsky. This man was evil. And I don't mean to so easily tag him as evil as like, boom, I'm just throwing this label on you. But his actions, the motivations he spoke from, the way he manipulated people, manipulated society in his book that he wrote on how to bring about uh, revolt is exactly what's being taught in our universities now and is the reason why you're seeing all these riots in the street that they are following the protocols of Saul Alinsky. Saul Alinsky was an opportunist in Chicago who used these social issues of the poor working class. He used it to divide the poor against the rich and then incite revolt. And it got nowhere. It only created more ruin in society. So we need to be very careful that when we're dealing with these social issues, such as what the Pope is talking here with the working class, we need to make sure we're not dividing employees against their employers, but rather we're creating a, a space for change that's a win for everybody. I am of the persuasion that when there is a problem, you do not have to have a winner and a loser. I believe in the body of Christ that we are called to peace because St. Paul says that, you know, in his vision for the church, that the church is a place where peace happens, where Gentiles and Jews, where those who are formerly enemies of each other are now friends with each other. So one of the tasks of the church is to, to make friends among people who could potentially be enemies of each other. And so Pope Leo XIII uh, brings this out. And as you go through this encyclical, you'll see that Pope Leo XIII is not preaching a message of employer is bad, employee is good. Rather, he's bringing out we're all made in the image of Christ. Let's figure out how to work together so that it is an advantage for the employer and the employee. Now, in paragraph three, the Pope brings out Four very important points. And if you have the ability to write this down or to put it in your phone notes or whatever, these four points that the Pope brings out in paragraph three are so vitally important. And the first point is that people in the working class are suffering so greatly that we must act quickly. Pope Leo XIII gives us the sense of urgency. He's not like we don't have time to listen to all this have a bunch of meetings about we need to act now, act quickly because the working class is suffering and suffering greatly right now. You know, what happens oftentimes is we have these injustices and people are suffering in the moment. And while they're suffering, we're creating commissions, committees, having meetings, uh, coming to resolutions. No, right now, as St. 
John the Baptist reminds us, if your brother is without a coat and you've got two coats, don't form a committee and talk about it. Give him your coat right now. I was reading in Exodus this week. I'm going through the Pentateuch uh, right now, the first five books of the Bible, and I was challenged once again in Exodus where we are, are told that if your brother needs to borrow money from you and you take his coat on interest, make sure you return his coat to him within the same day because he'll need the coat at night to stay warm. So that's the first important point that the Pope brings out is that the working classes are suffering greatly. Right now, we have to act quickly. The second point is that the workers' guilds, again, that's that concept from the Middle Ages we were talking about. Now we call them unions. They've been abolished. So there is no protection for the working class. So these worker guilds have been abolished. Now, in our day, the unions have been greatly weakened. And I have an idea how they got weakened. I won't name it right now. I won't give my personal opinion on that. But just the fact they have been weakened greatly. And it could be for multiple reasons. But because of this, uh, we need to re-strengthen the ability of workers to have a bargaining voice in the workplace. The third point he brings out in paragraph three is that the public institutions and its laws are opposed to the ancient religion. Pope Leo XIII says that the, the answer to these injustices is the ancient religion. <laughs> and he's not just referring specifically to the Catholic Church, but even hailing back to the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, we're giving given very specific ways. In fact, I'm going to cover a few chapters of Exodus in the future in a series on this podcast showing the very concrete ways that God expects us to carry out justice in our lives. But Pope Leo XIII says the reason why we have this present situation of injustice is because the public institutions are opposed and the laws themselves are opposed to that ancient religion that has the answers to society. And then the fourth important point he brings out, conditions for the working class are barely above the level of slavery. And he states that in paragraph three, that the conditions that the working class people are in right now is sort of a form of slavery. In fact, he says it's barely above the level of slavery. So we've got a problem. We've, he, he has very intelligently defined the problems we're facing. And he points out that rather than solving the problem, the, what the greedy rich people do is they just change the language. <laughs> they change the name of something under the guise of justice, but continue their corrupt ways. Of course, we see that a lot in our day, 130 years later, that the rich, they just keep, and the political leaders just keep changing the language to make it sound better, but nothing real is actually happening. I think... One is uh, you can't call you can't call people that have black skin black anymore. You have to call them African-Americans. What we've done is we've changed the language, changed the name. But now the language we're using is inaccurate for one thing, but it also changes it to nothing. It doesn't change the human heart 
the human heart is bent on hating. It's bent on hating and it needs the love of Christ to change it. And I have many, many friends with black skin and they've, I've had them all tell me that they're kind of offended by the term African-American because they're pl- proud of their black heritage and their culture. And they feel like the, the term African-American is one thing demeaning. Uh, and it also, uh, I had one person tell me the other day, they feel like being called an African-American puts them in a lower class because of the typical American attitude that people in Africa are less intelligent, less skilled. Although that's not the truth, that can be an underlying understanding. So they feel like the uh, changing of terms actually puts them in a lower category. You know, what about just calling them humans, brothers and sisters? Because because that's who all people are. Uh, we're related to each other because we all were created by God. But term like changing language to African American or lesbian, transgender, gay to whatever name, name the title. And what that does is it puts people in a class and it isolates people into that class rather than bringing people to unity in Christ. Now let's move on to chapter or paragraph four. And I don't know how many times I'm going to say the word chapter, but hopefully you'll be patient with me on that. But paragraph four, the Pope now states that the socialists are pretending to come up with the answer. And that was his problem. Pope Leo Thirteenth and the Pope since who've written uh, encyclicals around social issues, they have all called out the socialists. The Catholic Church is not in favor of socialism. And there's a reason, and Pope Leo XIII defines why, but he now states that the socialists are pretending to come up with the answer, but that their answer would take away the right to private property, and that their answers would actually cause the working class to be the first, the first to suffer injustice. So rather than socialism solving the problem socialism exasperates the problem and so it causes the the working class to be the first ones in line to suffer at their cause so what he's saying is that the socialists are playing the poor class because of their envy of the rich so he states in this paragraph that the church stands in emphatically against socialism. So the Pope says that's off the table. It's not a solution. Paragraph five. He shows that the very reason for people to go to work would be to obtain property in order to advance their situation. He spells out that private property and the value of it is it gives you an opportunity to thrive. It gives you an opportunity to advance yourself and your family. And that's so true. When you're renting in an apartment complex, especially under a large apartment management company, you're stuck. You have to play by their rules, and it's your tough luck if you don't. You're trapped. You're sort of a slave, especially if you're in a lease. However, owning private property frees you up to pursue your dreams and your vision as a human being. 
So he says, the whole reason to go to work would be to obtain property in order to advance your situation. So the socialists, by taking away private property, are actually working against the very reason for people to go to work. Now let's move on to chapter six, paragraph six. Wow. The socialists are working against justice, he states. It's an interesting example that the Pope gives here. He says that the animal kingdom runs purely on instinct and senses, but man is different in that humans have a mind and can thrive and build a life for themselves. So a man with his mind can reason, can build, can create, and can build a life for himself. And a major part of building that life for yourself is owning private property. So he says that the socialists, what they're doing is reducing people to animals by reducing people to the goal of survival rather than thriving in innovation. Of course, this is all Darwinism, right? Because Darwinism is all about the survival of the fittest. You don't hear anything from Darwinism about the thriving of the fittest, the survival. And so the socialists are right in line with the Darwinists in that they're trying to reduce us as human beings to a robot, a cog in the machine, survival of the fittest. But what Pope Leo XIII says, the church wants people to thrive because God created us as creative creatures who can build and who can create and who can create beauty and goodness in the world. But we can't do that if we're restricted. Now, in paragraph seven, I want to hurry on. There's a lot of information to cover, not enough time to cover it. But in paragraph seven, one major point that the Pope brings out is that man was created before the state was. Now, think about that. You ever had people give you a statement where you're like, they say it and you're like, wow, that's so obvious. Why did I not think about that? That's so obvious. How did that elude me? So he gives this kind of a silly statement, but yet it cuts right to the root that man was created before the state was. So the state needs to stay out of the equation. Therefore, as Abraham Lincoln reiterated, President Lincoln reiterated that the government is to be a government of the people, for the people, by the people. The government exists for the common person, not the other way around. But unfortunately, in today's atmosphere, you and I exist for the government. But the Pope states this obvious fact. Man was created before the state was, so the state needs to stay out of the equation. And I, I really, I honestly, I get tired of Washington, D.C. debating over the answers to our problems. I mean, hey, Washington, D.C., you are the problem. You're the ones creating the problems. You want to, you know what I would say to Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, and these various politicians that's been at their whole career do you want to solve our problems retire your retirement would solve a lot of problems sorry to be so curt but that's the truth they want to act like they're trying to debate to solve our problems first of all we can solve our own problems we don't need 
Salem, Oregon, or Washington, D.C., or Olympia, or whoever. We don't need them solving our problems. What we do need them to do is stop creating problems to begin with. Now, listen to this next point the Pope brings out in this paragraph, and it is so neat that he brings us out. He shows that people have recurring needs. I mean, every day you wake up, you have the need to eat, right? Well, nature produces new fruit each year and can sustain people. Think about this for a minute. I really want you to park on this one. We have recurring needs every day, every month, every year. Nature sustains the meeting of those needs by producing fruit every season without fail, unless there's famine or some, uh, you know, like a drought or something. But even then we're creative enough as humans to figure out how to irrigate, to overcome those conditions. So nature produces new fruit each year and can sustain people, but the state cannot provide food on a recurring basis as seen in socialist countries, therefore, the state needs to stay out of it. You know, I, I work with a lot of immigrants and refugees in my job. And I hear people coming from Venezuela, a highly socialist country, coming from Venezuela. And they've told me, I've asked them, what's life like in Venezuela? And they tell me it is a nightmare to live there. There's mass starvation, violence, and it just it's not sustainable. You now food stamps, they don't provide. You know what provides? Farms. Farms do. Uh, I like the uh, speech by Paul Harvey, one of the great radio voices uh, in history, but Paul Harvey has that one about God creating a farmer. If you get a chance to listen to that, listen to that. Farmers play a valuable role. What was it that God told Adam and Eve in the Genesis narrative after he created them? Take care of the garden. Start farming. Human beings are made to reason. Human beings can understand the past, the present, and the future and can build towards a future. Therefore, humans need to be free to do so in order to be free to be fully human. That's chapter or paragraph seven. Now in paragraph eight, the Pope answers a very important question. Does the earth belong to individuals or to everyone? Think about that for a minute. Does the earth belong to individuals or to everyone? And the Pope answers, yes. The Pope belongs to everyone or the earth belongs to everyone. But no one can just randomly use the earth without wisdom. So private property belongs to the individual. However, here's the beautiful balance he builds into it is this, is that private property belongs to the individual, but the workers on that property have full right or have a right to its fruit as well. And that's an important point for building a just society. Yes, the property belongs to the individual, but the workers on that property have a right to its fruit as well. He says that though the property belongs to the individual, the individual should see the property as a ministry to others. And I think of an example in the Old Testament that the farmers were required 
to let the poor pick fruit from the corners of the property. And after the harvest, anything that was left over laying on the ground, the poor had a right to go grab it so they could have food to eat. Therefore, in the Old Testament, the farm belonged to the farmer, to the owner of that farm, but they were required to view their farm as a ministry to others. Now, moving on to paragraph 11, he shows that to believe that your neighbor does not have a right to own and harvest the fruit of his property. Notice this, to believe that your neighbor does not have a right to own and harvest the fruit on his property is to break the commandment that states thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's field. One of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Therefore, you should celebrate and rejoice that your neighbor has his property and is doing well on his property. Now, in paragraph 13, an important point is made, and we're just about through here, is that private property is the only way to guarantee security for children and their descendants among the uncertainties of this life. Pope Leo XIII states that we can't get rid of the consequences of sin. The consequences of sin in our world creates uncertainties all the time. However, the best way to guard ourselves against those uncertainties is private property. Because I can hand my property to my children, thus guaranteeing their prosperity and my grandchildren and so on. So, for example, if I work at a factory, I cannot hand my job on to my children and grandchildren once I retire. Once I retire from the factory, some stranger comes in and takes that position. But with property, I can hand on my tradition to my descendants. Now, we're going to go into paragraph 14 next when the Pope talks about eminent domain of the government. And speaks against things like the state developing a system of taking children away from parents like ODHS and other agencies. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they were being very vague about what they wanted? Well, it can be annoying, can't it? Because you're trying, you're having to waste your time ask, asking follow-up questions. And you, you, you just want the answer, like, what is it you are asking of me? I often talk to attorneys and they tell me when they, that they don't want a story, just get to the point. In fact, sometimes I'll get in the habit, I'll try to tell a story and the attorney will say, just what's the point? What's the problem? What's the law that was broken or what's the injustice? Just name it. We can talk about more later. Well, in this encyclical, Pope Leo XIII gets to the point and makes it very clear. And I encourage you to read this encyclical for yourself, thus gaining the tools you need to create a just society right where you are. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com. You've been listening to Common Sense on Social Justice with your host, Michael Davis. A common sense and fresh perspective to creating justice where you are. 
Share your comments and questions with Michael by emailing sjcommonsense at gmail.com. That's sjcommonsense at gmail.com.